This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the legislature today. I'm Randy Yowie. On the House floor today, along with 13 bills on third reading, several resolutions were passed and tributes read honoring fallen West Virginia combat veterans. On the House floor, resolutions like House Concurrent Resolution 53, U.S. Navy Quartermaster Third Class Lawrence Earl Boggs Memorial Bridge are often accepted en masse without debate. But today, with the decorum of honor and duty, the House broke from routine. Delegate Bill Ridenauer, a Republican from Jefferson County, a retired Marine Corps officer, a retired defense intelligence officer, read in detail the heroic service records of Mountain State veterans who are nominated to have memorial bridges named after them. As to bills on third reading, House Bill 5159 relates generally to child labor. The proposal eliminates the requirement that 14 or 15-year-olds obtain a work permit. Instead, parental permission and a Department of Labor age certificate is needed for children ages 14 and 15 to work. Larry Rowe, a Democrat from Kanawha County, opposed a bill he and other delegates said takes school input out of the child labor equation. I think that it's really the parents' rights to have their children employed, and that's what we're judging here. And what goes out the window is the education of the child is the, the socialization that, that teenagers need in order to survive in this world. It, it involves a, a duty, I think, of the school system to make certain that the education is being completed as it's supposed to be. So I, I will be voting against this bill. Delegate Todd Longenacre, a Republican from Greenbrier County, noted that code changes in the bill were procedural and 14-year-olds should have the freedom to work. Many of us in this room probably worked when we were 12, 13, 14 years out, out on the farm, belling hay, digging post holes, whatever we were doing. And if there's one thing kids need today in our society, is to start learning work ethic at an earlier age, not a later age. This is a good bill. Let's let those kids get to work. The child labor bill passed 83 to 16 and now goes to the Senate. House Bill 5223 would create the Southern Coalfield Resiliency and Revitalization Program. Delegate Adam Vance, a Republican from Wyoming County, says that unlike previous coalfield commissions and authorities that were never funded or executed, this program will charge the Department of Economic Development with actively recruiting and retaining businesses geared for and or needed in Boone, Logan, McDowell, Mingo, and Wyoming counties. So they, they just come together as a council, they'll discuss things that, the, that these five counties need uh, economically uh, for development stuff, and then they'll bring those in and they'll reach out to those companies and they'll find land that's accessible, they'll find uh, companies that want to come into these areas, and then they'll just reach out and try to get them to come in and hopefully we can expand on that. The Coalfield Program Bill passed 90 to 5 and also now goes to the Senate. Today the Senate addressed keeping West Virginians safer online. The body passed bills addressing ways that AI could be used to sexually exploit children on the internet and a bill to protect the personal information of people online. Brianna Heaney has more. 
Earlier this week, pop superstar Taylor Swift became the target of artificially generated sexually explicit photos using artificial intelligence. AI creators used photos and videos of Swift to create sexually explicit deepfakes. The use of photos to create deepfakes of sexually explicit content is becoming a trend among child predators. Photos of children can be plugged into AI to create child pornography. Senate Bill 740 prohibits digital manipulation of sexually explicit content that includes minors. Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County, is one of the sponsors of the bill. She said just two days ago, she received an email from a constituent whose son had been affected by AI-generated child pornography. Her 14-year-old son had someone who did this to him, where they took a picture that he had on Instagram, they photoshopped it to put a naked, you know, uh, depiction of his body, and then were trying to extort money from him, or they were going to post it all over social media. As you can imagine, he was very upset, and thankfully he went straight to his parents, but they called the police, and just so you know, the police told them, we don't know what we can do about this. AI depictions of child sexual exploitation and abuse are on the rise. Senate Bill 741 prohibits the creation, production, distribution, or possession of artificially generated child pornography. Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, sponsored and introduced the bill. This bill makes clear that if you do it through the use of artificial intelligence and generate images, um, then uh, it's going to be subject to felony penalties, crime under West Virginia law. The Senate also passed a bill that expands on a bill passed earlier this session. That would take personal information of healthcare workers, like their phone numbers and home addresses, off state sites. That bill is currently sitting in the House Judiciary. Today's bill, Senate Bill 637, expands the pool of people past just healthcare workers whose personal information will be removed from state websites. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. The Senate Banking and Insurance Committee on Monday afternoon considered an idea as old as the nation's founding, creating a currency backed by gold and silver. Curtis Tate has that story. Senate Bill 749, the West Virginia Legal Tender Act, would create a gold depository in West Virginia. The state would mint gold and silver coins to be used as currency, and users would conduct financial transactions with it, even for something as simple as buying groceries. Kevin Freeman, an author who promotes gold and silver currency, told lawmakers the founders intended it. The founders of this nation were very plain. They did not want unbacked paper money. In fact, Thomas Jefferson used the term paper is poverty. Uh, it is uh, the ghost of money, not money itself. George Washington uh, stated paper, unbacked paper money will have the same effect in this nation that it's had everywhere else it's been used, and that is for the ruin of commerce. And unfortunately, I believe that the founders were correct once again in this. So they left that provision that if the federal government went off the rails, that states would have the opportunity to allow for their citizens to transact in gold and silver. Freeman said the technology exists to use that gold to make everyday purchases. The problem is this little gold coin costs $1,400. The average person can't buy that or just a tiny fraction of it to spend to buy themselves a cup of coffee. 
and, and they can't buy groceries. But with modern technology, and I believe Jason Cousins will testify, you're able to put gold on deposits, and this is working now in Switzerland. You can put gold on deposit, and I can take my MasterCard and I can spend it. I bought groceries with it two weeks ago, bought a bag of oranges with gold. That technology exists. The states can make gold and silver coin tender. Freeman also said gold-backed currency would be a way for the state to fight back against federal policies it opposes, including those that consider environmental, social, and governance, or ESG. Such policies are interpreted by some to disfavor fossil fuels. You know the federal government has aimed at your state to use uh, weapons against you like ESG legislation. Can you imagine if a central bank digital currency were put in place and they told people that you can't buy fossil fuel energy anymore? Everything has to be, you know, according to their plan, not ours. Jason Cousins, the founder and CEO of GlintPay, said the system his company has developed allows account holders to spend their gold anywhere in the world in the current financial system. I think it's really important that any system like this should be able to work with the existing financial system. So what we've done is we've got a, a US dollar wallet in the account, it means you can move to US and dollars and gold and backwards and forwards. It means we've got the debit card, which allows you to spend gold, as I've said, anywhere in the world where MasterCard accepts, that could be Visa, we're, 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 we're bank agnostic, we're even currency agnostic, and we're certainly hard program agnostic. Cousins also said the cost of setting up a gold currency system would be low. But Senator Charles Clements, a Republican from Wetzel County, noted the fiscal note appended to the bill. I notice here on the thing there's a fiscal note, $41 million. What is, what is that? Setting up a gold bullion depository could cost the state around $41 million. The fiscal note from the treasurer's office said the true cost of the system could be as much as $100 million with expanded technology and options. Clements was skeptical. Uh, I was just sort of shocked to see that fiscal note. $41 million. The committee voted to approve a study resolution and run the bill again in the next session. For the Legislature Today, I'm Curtis Tate. Education Committee started the week off by considering changes to homeschooling requirements as well as sports outside the school. Chris Schultz has that report. Monday afternoon, the House Education Committee considered bills to promote registered apprenticeship programs, revise requirements of local school improvement councils, and remove some requirements for homeschooling. The original House Bill 5180 would do away with the requirement that homeschool parents have a high school diploma or higher to provide home instruction, but that requirement was added back in with a committee substitute. The bill changes how required academic assessments of the homeschooled child at grade level 3, 5, 8, and 11 are presented to the county superintendent, and allows micro-schools to submit a composite of assessment results instead of individual scores. Delegate Mike Pushkin, a Democrat from Kanawha County, proposed an amendment that would bar county boards from authorizing instruction in the home if there is a pending child abuse or neglect investigation or a domestic violence conviction against either custodial parent or an instructor. Pushkin said he recognized most homeschoolers are deeply involved and care for their children, but was inspired by another law that has often been proposed but never made it far in the legislative process. Oftentimes, um, it's a, an instructor, a gym teacher, somebody, a service personnel, somebody at the school spots the signs of abuse and that's how they find out. And that's what could lead to that phone call being made that might save a child's life. Um, 
uh, I offered this amendment because unfortunately that bill has been introduced year after year. Rayleigh's law has been introduced year after year. Rayleigh's law is named after an eight-year-old girl who died of abuse and neglect in 2018 after her parents withdrew her from school. In the Senate Education Committee Tuesday morning, senators approved a bill aimed at promoting fentanyl awareness and education without discussion. A similar bill sparked much debate in the House Education Committee last week. Senators instead debated the merits of SB 813, which would allow students to participate in non-school competitive activities and remove restrictions on external teams as a condition for playing for a school, team, or sport. Committee Vice Chair Charles Clemens, a Republican from Wetzel County, expressed concern that the rule change would allow teams to keep playing beyond their intended season and erode the state's athletic schedule. Right now, you can't start football practice until a certain date. You can't start basketball practice until a certain date. So what are we going to do with this? I mean, we, we, we keep talking about baseball. Okay, we take baseball. Baseball season usually ends for high school at the state baseball tournament. So if this is allowed to continue with the same coach and the same kids, we'll just continue this whole season clear through until football season starts. Senator Mike Oliverio, a Republican from Monongalia County, proposed an amendment that would extend the bill's provisions to coaches, freeing them up to coach multiple teams. Senator David Stover, a Republican from Wyoming County, expressed his support for the amendment, but also stated his concern that non-school teams would compete concurrently with school teams, resulting in divided attention and loyalty from student-athletes. If you're playing a high school sport, that's where your loyalty lies. Uh, yeah, I agree with all this. Coaches should, I, I, they ought to be able to coach those travel teams. I don't care if you play baseball around the clock, but during the season for high school, that's the season for high school ball. The amendment, as well as the broader bill, were ultimately adopted and recommended to the full Senate. For the Legislature Today, I'm Chris Schultz in Charleston. West Virginia's senior citizens took center stage today for AARP Day at the Capitol. There's a core group of statewide AARP leaders who lobby for certain legislation just about every day of every regular session. 2024 is no different. Read for the first time on the House floor today, House Bill 4880 would exempt West Virginia seniors from paying personal income tax on Social Security income. Right now, 50,000 retirees in the Mountain State pay these taxes every year. The plan is to reduce the tax to zero over the next three years. Jane Marks, West Virginia AARP volunteer president, says 40 states have already eliminated Social Security tax payments. And she says it's good policy on several fronts put an estimated $37 million back in people's pockets. Well, first, it's so important because people who are on Social Security are usually on a fixed income. And of course, we've got inflation, we've got the high price of prescription drugs, and now we have to pay tax on our Social Security, which we've already paid tax on, in essence, when we started our Social Security payments years ago. Obviously, if we want to be a a retirement destination, it's important. We're an outlier right now, Randy. AARP is also lobbying to see a package of fraud-related bills passed, including a gift card fraud bill, a robocall elimination bill, and a restitution bill for those who have been scammed. For the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yoey. In the midst of school shootings like Parkview, Sandy Hook, and Uvalde, school safety continues to be a pressing issue across the country. In West Virginia, small and rural schools find it difficult to staff school resource officers and other security personnel. 
but a bill now making its way through the House of Delegates would allow teachers and other school staff to carry a firearm or other weapon on school grounds. Chris Schultz spoke with Delegate Elliot Pritt, a Republican from Fayette County and a teacher, and Delegate Anitra Hamilton, a Democrat from Monongalia County. Thanks so much, Randy. Delegates, thank you so much for joining us today. I want to start off by talking about uh, House Bill 4299 and how that fits into the school safety and school discipline situation that we have on our hands in the state right now. Delegate Pritt, could you start us off by just, as a school teacher, explaining to us the need for this bill? Okay, so I think the important thing to remember is that not every school in West Virginia has pro officers or security personnel, and not every school system in West Virginia can afford to hire pro officers or secu private security personnel, especially the rural counties. The dial to 911 and the time it would take for a deputy to show up in many cases is close to almost an hour in a lot of these rural counties. So there is a need, and we can have debate about necessity in other places, but I do think in general there's a need. Yeah, absolutely. So Delegate Hamilton, uh, this bill is permissive. It doesn't require counties or schools to um, assign these, uh, uh, these safety officers within the teachers and the staff of the school. Um, so what is your concern regarding school discipline and school safety with introducing uh, firearms or other weapons? You know, this also includes stun guns and tasers in the classrooms. So one of my biggest issues um, with this bill, and, and um, just for the record, I'm not against school discipline at all, but one of the issues that I have is that during our interim sessions, we had several um, orgs that come in that had done surveys of the schools in West Virginia, and they have found that um, black and brown children, um, children that are homeless and children that are experiencing poverty are disciplined at a higher rate. So my concern then goes towards um, I'm, I'm afraid for those children because I feel like we have not addressed some of the um, issues in our school and I feel like we will see more children in those disadvantaged populations disciplined even more. And when you're able to now um, carry a gun, bring guns into school and just just the layer of different legislations that is coming forth, it just creates a greater concern for me for disadvantaged groups without adding the equal amount of support, I think, to mental services and some of the social services that I think is needed in schools. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, those are fair points, and they are. And I know not every school system across the state has all the supports that our kids need. Um, we have a lot of kids that come from socioeconomic groups that deal with more issues than other kids do. And obviously that's probably gonna to translate to more discipline issues, proportionally. Um, but I also think it's important to remember, you know, I teach in Fayette County. And we're very fortunate. We have a robust communities and schools program, communities and schools program. We have uh, school pro officers in every school. We have a contract with New River Health uh, out of Fayette County. They have counselors and psychologists and therapists that come to our schools and work with our kids. And we are still dealing with chronic behavior issues, students being put out of school, um, truancy issues, poverty, and we're, we're still dealing with all the things that we dealt with before. And so while I will, I will agree, yes, we need these in all the schools, but it's still, it's not going to fix everything. And I, I think the safety aspect, I mean, had you interviewed me before the Uvalde shooting in Texas, I would have been right here with her and agreed with her, but watching that unfold and watching law enforcement refuse to go into that school, 
and start arresting the parents of students who are trying to get into the school instead of going in. Um, that shifted my mindset and perspective on this issue. But I will acknowledge the concerns and I, I see it, I see it. So you bring up an excellent point that this is a bill that's aimed at an extreme case, mm. uh, an extreme case that unfortunately is becoming far too common. It's our reality. It is our we reality. We live in this reality. But just <clears throat> the week before last, we had a situation in Cabell County where an incident like this was stopped because of the systems that have been put in place fairly recently. The CSEND app, for example, mm -hmm. um, was credited with helping to uh, uh, prevent an incident from happening at Cabell Midland. Um, so, Delegate Hamilton, do you think that we should maybe be expanding that type of, uh, of system? I know there's been a lot of focus on ensuring that our buildings are safer, just on a basic level. Absolutely. Not only emphasis, um, we're spending a lot of money to ensure that we have safe classrooms. Um, and we've dealt with this in education committee, um, dealing with windows um, being glazed, dealing with doors being magnetic. I mean, even talking to, you know, some of the teachers. And we have had some horrible things to happen, and I agree um, with, you know, cops being afraid to go in, leaving our children and, and our schools vulnerable. But I think it has caused us to um, look at the, our structures and put more emphasis there. Um, one of my biggest concerns, you know, we have a lot of legislation coming forward to address, you know, the what if in, your, in the major situations. But I think sometimes what gets overlooked is the children and actually what some of the teachers want. Um, and I know they want to be protected, you know, in those instances, how we do that. Um, protection against, I think, a mass shooter is, is very different than controlling um, school discipline and, and students. I think those are two different things. Um, so to kind of loop um, those together, I think, puts us at a disadvantage because I am for, you know, making sure our schools are safe to prevent mass shootings. But um, studies have shown, I was researching a study in California where they were saying that putting security officers and security personnel in school has not made that much of a difference. And it has increased um, in some incidents. And again, it was with black and brown children. So it's just some of the, the, the worries that I have with our children, uh, with our education system. You know, I think it would be another level of distraction. And then I think we need to define the goal of the cops, um, whether it's going to be strictly for discipline, whether they're going to be role models and mentors, whether they're going to be teaching on um, ways of safety. But I think just putting them there as a police presence and only dealing with discipline will put our children at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. I, I agree I, with that last yeah. point. And that, that's why I've been happy to see law enforcement pro officers in Fayette County are highly respected. Yes. The kids love them um, and they are involved in the kids' lives. They walk around the school, they come into classrooms, they read books to the elementary school kids. And so, and I know that that's probably not the case in every school. Yeah. And I can't speak to every school, yeah. only the ones I know. Um, and I didn't want anyone to think that my comment about law enforcement not going into building Uvalde was in, in any way, shape or form a dig at law enforcement. I just, that is a factual thing that happened. We cannot escape that fact. Um, but as far as school safety, the physical safety of the buildings, we have spent a lot of money. Um, body scanners, metal detectors, magnetic locks, glazed windows, bulletproof glass. Um, it's got, <laughs> you know, all it takes is, unfortunately though, someone to prop one door open when they're not supposed to for one weak link in the chain, 
and everything we've put money into is totally nullified. Uh, and that's the concern that I have. And I really do think when you brought this at the beginning, you said this is permissive. No one has to do this. No school system has to allow this the way the bill is currently. And I think that's a big deal. They're not gonna come to you and be like, right, Mr. Pritt, we're issuing you your firearm. You can go to your training, you know, uh, two weeks from now, and then you can come back to your class. It's entirely permissive, volunteer basis only. And the training that these individuals will have to go through, mental health evaluations yearly, firearms training, safety handling, provisions in the bill that if, if they do not keep track of their firearm, they can be terminated from employment. Um, there's more requirements in this bill for people that would voluntarily do this than there are for private security guards right now that are hired by the school system. And I think that's important to remember. Delegate, we only have about 30 seconds left. I want to ask you a quick yes or no question. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the training, 15-point training that includes things like accountability you just mentioned, um, crisis intervention, and also de-escalation. We've heard a lot about the burden that teachers have mm -hmm. as far as training goes. Yes or no, do you think that these are things that could potentially be integrated in broader teacher training? I think that this needs to be a volunteer basis. Fair enough. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have today. I really appreciate you both spending mm -hmm. this time with us and talking about these you difficult sure? We issues. got more time if you want more time. <laughs> you, I'm we sure you have more time, but we, <laughs> the television dictates its own no, rules. get out of here. Again, thank you both so much. Thank you. Back to thank you, you, Randy. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia Channel. I'm Randy Yoey. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.